the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. So we need some interesting stuff recently about the NBA. When prospects are taken in the NBA, they're young, right? And they sign their first contracts uh, shortly after the NBA draft. A lot of which, you know, are multi-year, multi-million dollar deals. And from our appearances, they look set for life. But there's a lot of unexpected costs to signing seven and eight figure deals that a lot of people don't realize. There was an athlete named Donald Foyle, a 1997 first round pick who played 12 years in the NBA. And he's got a book out there called The Athlete CEO. And I'm always looking for interesting ways to tie money together. For investors, ways to tie money together for people seeking retirement. And I thought it would be interesting to pick it up. He broke down some of the lesser known cost of being an NBA player, including the actual participation in games. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> he called it the jock tax. Most Americans are not familiar with that. And paying taxes in every state that you play in is part of the, the situation. So if you're not in the kind, that kind of business or in the entertainment field, you probably wouldn't think of it. You don't understand what it means and the multitude and mountains of tax work and legal documents that goes into playing in the league in terms of, you know, you play in 30 places, you get paid in 30 different taxes. It's kind of sad that I admit this, but when it comes down to the NHL, <clears throat> the NFL, Major League Baseball, <clears throat> I kind of want the playoffs to be won by a team from California, even if it's not my team, because it generates more taxes and general revenue for the state. 21 of the 25 states that have professional sports teams prior to um, Las Vegas getting the team, and you know the Raiders, uh, well, Las Vegas is getting both the Knights, the Golden Knights, I guess, which is NHL, and the Raiders. So this jock tax, which affects players, coaches, trainers, and anyone that travels with the team. Anyone that travels with the team. So once you leave a state, you leave 182nd of your salary in the NBA. Um, based on an 82-game schedule. How that's di- divided up, it's tough to start figuring out. How much does it go to the state? How much does it go to local? How much does it go to federal? Um, and it's just a good reminder to you that you know taxes are super important to understand and grasp. And retiring in the state of California is expensive. Dying in the state of California, not so much. Um, and there's other states where retirement's cheap, but dying's expensive. 
as far as the estate tax that you're going to get. So this guy, Donald Foyle, made $63 million in his career. Um, but with things like taxes and other costs, it doesn't add up to $63 million, right? It's like with you, if you have a million dollars saved for retirement, uh, you probably you know made a lot more. But that got stripped away due to taxes, state, local, federal, sales taxes. When it comes time to spending that money, you're going to be paying some federal, some state, uh, some income for, you know, for the state for sure, and federal. Uh, there's going to be sales taxes, maybe property taxes, other taxes, right? So psychologically, a lot of people don't think about that. Um, and for basketball players, you have to give up 1% to 4% of your income to an agent. And you heard Phil Mickelson a couple of years ago say, I got to leave the state of California because the taxes are killing me. He kind of regretted that statement, but it was, it was very interesting to me. Um, and for an athlete, you also have financial people. And they take, you know, somewhere between 1% and 3%. So you can start seeing how this money disappears and chips away. State income taxes of, you know, uh, 10%, not uncommon. Federal taxes of, if you're an athlete, 35%, so that's 45%. Throw in some Social Security taxes, and you're at, you know, 48 49%. Throw in some, you know, uh, property taxes, and you can see how it gets pretty expensive. Um, sales taxes, so the sales taxes kicks up to almost 60% of your of your million. You've, you're down to 400000 so, and then you throw in 1% to 4% for uh, an accountant, 1% to 4% for financial people. Um, maybe you have to go see a sports therapist that other people won't have to go see because A, you're trying to take care of your body, and B, you're trying to take care of your mind. The NBA will probably pay for that kind of thing. But then you get just to see who's all on your payroll. Um, you pay for marketing, things along those lines. Josh Childress was an NBA player who once explained an 11 million contract really becomes about 5 million after taxes. And I'd say it's probably even less uh, in some states. After players spend on themselves for purchases like house and cars, they often buy family members things. And I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, she was adopted. And she had great adoptive parents, but... She had a uncle leave her $15,000 to go to college, and her parents spent it while she was a kid. So when she was time to tap that money and go to college, she racked up about $15,000 college debt, and she said, Mom and Dad, where is it? I was like, oh, we spent that. Not we're sorry or anything like that. And she's kind of had a lifetime of disappointment with them on a lot of levels. Um, preacher's daughter, things like that. And uh, I, I was giving her some advice. I said, you know, I'm not close with two of my brothers, and just because we're biologically related doesn't mean we have to act nice and have a good time at Thanksgiving. In fact, we've kind of all avoided Thanksgiving, and we've kind of set up Thanksgivings with our other uh, side of the, the world, uh, spouses or girlfriends kind of thing. My parents had five boys and then one girl, so two of my brothers I just don't care about. It was kind of interesting. One of my brothers got really mad at me because when he was going through a divorce, his wife basically hooked up with my friend. Now, she was 30, and he was 18. And they eventually get married, and uh, he adopts my brother's daughter. Say what? Whoa. Uh, so he doesn't like me for whatever reason. He thinks I contributed to that, and I didn't. I didn't care. Whoa. Uh, I was hit by surprise on that one. But uh, we all have family like this. And, like, 
if he ever asked me for a dime, I'd give him nothing. Um, whereas if, you know, you're my best friend or I worked with you in radio for a lot of years and you did me some good favors, I'd be like, sure. You know, am I going to get it back or not? I once lent money to a friend who I knew I wasn't going to get it back. And sure enough, I didn't get it back. But I didn't even get a thank you and I'm sorry I didn't get it back. So it kind of strained the relationship. Um, so I was giving her the advice. I'm like, you know, when push comes to shove, she's got a sister who doesn't have a job and doesn't have a house. She's got parents who don't have enough for retirement and uh, rack up debt. Uh, they've got something for retirement, but not enough for retirement. And they're racking up a lot of debt. I'm like, geez, I hope you realize like the best thing that could happen to your parents is somewhere around 68 while still working. He dies. And then she dies like two days later. And then you just don't have a relationship with your sister. Cause those are people that are going to be asking you for money. So giving money as an athlete to friends and family teaches me, be careful giving money to friends and family. Um, this eight figure careers of income don't come along often and way too often professional athletes retire broke. So I guess the lesson, a lot of lessons here, you pay for a lot of people in your life, a lot of people, and you pay a lot of taxes in your life. And you've got to be careful about what you give away, especially post-tax. I'm Rob Black. Find me at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. And don't forget the weeknight replay at 7. So I'm talking trends and demographics. And talking about how actions have reactions for sure. You've seen the action of higher real estate prices. And that's moving companies like restaurants out of business. New York City's famous for some of the greatest restaurants in the world. Um, and what happened was at one point in time, a restaurant would kind of lead the way and go into a poor part of town. Maybe like the meatpacking district in New York City. A restaurant would open up, they have cheap rent because it's in the meatpacking district. And through the years, real estate prices have gone up, 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 up. And at some point in time, you go, I'm not going to pay $50 for a steak. I'll pay $40 for a steak. I'm offended by $40 steaks. I remember paying $35 or $30 for a steak. And uh, but to have someone cook it for me, to have them use gas or fire, whatever form of fire they're using, to have the waiter clean the tables, to have the bus guy clean the dishes. Uh, it's not an ex- a cheap product. And the margins are very tightly tied towards what I just said. Of I don't want to pay $45 for a steak. I'll pay $40 for a steak. So there's only so much they can charge. And when real estate prices go up 5% a year in New York City for 20 years, you eventually have to close that restaurant. Um, it's a sad reality. Um, one way that restaurants make tons of money is alcohol sales because you'll sit there and drink $35 of booze pretty quickly <clears throat> when it's really only 4 or $5 that they're giving you of product. That has much higher margins than the, the, the food. So just know that actions have reactions and, you know, some of your favorite restaurants are going to shut down in the Bay Area, in New York City, and Chicago because of the higher rents going up everywhere. Back to technology and the digitization and wearables. Right now, global wearable shipments are climbing 
from 26 million units in 2014 to 82 million units in 2015 to 110 million units in 2016. And the sensors that are being put into these wearables, uh, thermometers, 5% of them, camera, 6%, altimeter, 6%, barometer, 7%, ambient light, 12%, microphone, 18%, compass, 19%. Gyroscope, 26% of the devices. GPS, 28%. Heart rate, 33%. And accelerometer, 86% of the wearable devices. Now, I've got the Apple AirPods, and that's a wearable device because not only can you hear Bluetooth music through your earpods, AirPods now, um, which is great, no wires, but on top of it, you can tap it and say, hey, Siri, navigate home. And it'll instantly start giving you directions. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, so the AirPods are pretty magical, and they're a wearable category. And Apple sold out of them. They're six-week back supply, and they've been on sale now already for you know, uh, a good while. Consumers are willing to share their health data, which is interesting to me. Because companies like Google, it, they're data companies. So which tech company would you share your data with? Google, Microsoft, Samsung, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, IBM. They're all companies that you're sharing data with. And a lot of data accumulation equals a lot of proliferation of you know, digitally native health-related data sets. Health and fitness app downloads um, or climbing. So some of the apps in the health category, lifestyle and stress. I have a meditation app for sure. I have two of them. Disease and treatment is a big chunk of the pie. Fitness and diet and nutrition. So there's something now called, which you probably don't even know, EHR, electronic health records. And the adoption is becoming quite broad and centralized. So if you get online and you can see your blood results, you've got an electronic health record. And, you know, this is... These electronic health records are tied towards your medications, maybe some of your problems historically. Have you ever been to a doctor and they're like, tell me about your uh, family history? But they can also do a nice job of keeping track of your vital signs. So my dentist does my blood pressure every time I go see my dentist and he's able to say, you know, hey, you need to go see a doctor. One time I had a really red tongue and he goes, you've got some sort of... uh, uh, infection going on somewhere in your body and it's showing in your tongue but he was also able to look at my you know my blood pressure and tell me if I was in a life-threatening kind of situation um, hospitals that enable digital patient access uh, hospitals are providing digital access to healthcare information it's still growing and it's you know to be able to view your information um, that's grown from you know a very small amount to basically 95% of hospitals that you view digital information now. To download, about 87% of hospitals let you download your information. So there's a growth in healthcare data that's growing at 48% year over year. And that's pretty impressive. So if you take a look at a hospital, um, and the growth of healthcare data, you're talking about 153 exabytes. And that's 48% growth year over year. So some of the data that hospitals now use is they'll use like a 500-bed hospital, and they've got 8,000 employees. They've got 400 applications. They've got 500 databases. They've got 1,000 interfaces. They've got 10,000 desktops. They've got 500 uh, company-owned 
hospital-owned tablets, and they've got 2,000-plus mobile devices. So hospitals generate 50 petabytes of data per hospital at this point. So a lot of digital insight and translation is means that we're in the early innings of the impact on therapeutics and genomics are obviously fueling that. So you're seeing more and more data. For instance, you've heard of 23andMe, I'm sure, and they're collecting DNA data on you, and they're telling you, oh, hey, you're 18% French and 72% Irish and 10% mutt. Uh, but they're also asking you questions like, do you have problems sleeping? And they're kind of tying that to your genome genomic traits. Um, do you have problems you know, losing weight or keeping weight off? Um, so I, I think you're seeing more and more data sets being collected and um, a lot of clinical trials, you know, obviously having some uh, impact as far as the time of them go. So the average time to get a market, a new market, a new drug to market is about 12 years right now. You have to go from phase zero, which is three and a half years. Phase one is about 1.8 years. Phase two is 2.1 years. Phase three, when you start testing on humans, it's two and a half years. But the growth in clinical trials is growing because we can get a super amount of data out of people now. So I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Uh, companies are able to use that data, by the way, to get better chances for phase, to get approval. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Stock Talk with Rob Black. Black. 800-516-1220. And anytime you want to look at the economy, you look at, you start with jobs. Because if people have jobs, they buy cars. If people have jobs, they're working for companies. If people are working for companies, companies typically live and die by the rule of capitalism, where they'll fire people if they need to, if things start getting too out of control. The largest cost of doing business for a company is, is labor. And as a small business owner, I can tell you, like, if things hit the economy tough, you, know, you, can, you can cut back some costs. You can say, okay, I'm going to cut down client dinners. I'm going to cut down uh, marketing costs. But the number one thing you can do is fire someone. And, you know, suddenly you're not paying Social Security tax, you're not paying health care, you're not paying a lot of things. So you always look at jobs as one of the bigger things to give you a good determination on the stock market. It's an odd indicator, and it's not as 100% good as I want it to be for you. You know, like, just because you have a job doesn't mean you're going to go out and get a new car. There could be a situation where a couple of years ago, a president did cash for clunkers. Do you remember that? And that stimulated a lot of car demand. It, it brought it forward. Another concept that sometimes you have to play with a little bit. Um, housing numbers could look great. Hey, look, it's spring. The numbers look great. Turns out that winter was really warm, so it brought a lot of buyers forward. Spring may not look as great going forward. So you have to be a little careful with some of the indicators that you're going to play with in your head. I don't want you to get burned. I don't want you to get hurt. Um, I want you to be as smart as you can. I don't want you to do picking stocks full-time. You can listen to this show from time to time. If you want to listen to it daily, it's great. Um, but I don't want you to do it too much. Uh, in large part, you know, you're probably a programmer, a Facebook employee, 
you're probably somebody like that. Uh, maybe a mom. And I want you to be the best mom in the world. And that's an odd thing to say out loud. Um, I want you to know that you're not going to be the world's best stock trader. And I think we get spoiled when you have an eight straight years up in a market or nine straight years or you have the late 1990s where E-Trade bought a super commercial, Super Bowl commercial, where they had a monkey ride in a rocket and higher. And they were kind of poking fun at themselves, but they were trying to tell the audience, even a monkey could do this. Come on, open an account. Um, and it was too much. I remember firing a client because he's like, if I give you an extra 100, can you turn it into 300 in the next three months? I'm like, I could certainly try. And I could have taken his money and kind of done that. Failed and gone, your expectations were too high. Um, I'm glad I didn't. So throwing that out there for you as far as ways to start thinking about the markets and jobs. Jobs are an important one. Um, another thing is there's some websites out there like you know Yahoo Finance or Oath Finance that you need to be careful on. Um, I think the information there is average. I don't think it's helpful or constructive. I think Morningstar does a really nice job of giving you information. But sometimes the information on Morningstar is outdated. So you really have to make sure that you're staying on top of this. If you're looking for resources, I think Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade have fantastic resources um, on their websites. Um, I think they're both good retail trading platforms uh, for do-it-yourself investors. I think they're both very reputable companies. So I could certainly come up with ideas for you as far as resources go. Um, if you have an account at E-Trade or Schwab or Scott Trade or TD Ameritrade, um, sometimes they give you stock reports from Standard & Poor's or Zacks. And go read it on Apple. I mean, I know you know Apple's phones. So go get a report from Standard & Poor's on Apple. Take a look at it. Think about it. And, and see where you go. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, right. And you don't have to become the best person out of it. But there's a lot of resources out there. You know, I was telling you to line up some legal resources, your healthcare documents, so that someone can make a medical decision and financial decision on your behalf. I got into a fight once with a spouse that she wanted to be buried. I'm like, I want to donate my body to science. Um, and then cremated. And for some reason, she like, why would not donate to science? Why not give, you know, the kids in medical school a little time to, to play with your cadaver? I have no problem with that. So um, hopefully, they're, hopefully they're not too judgmental. Hey, that's Rob Black. Let's take a look. Ow. Oh, man, his liver shot. Um, I know it. I know it. There's days online on air where he's slurring. So you can get a durable power of attorney from a site like LegalZoom for about $35. You can find free state-specific living wills at carryinginfo.org. Or an estate planning attorney can help you draw up documents. Um, depending on how much money you have, I think LegalZoom is a great choice for people who don't have a lot. Just kind of getting it in place, is, it makes a lot of sense. So you probably have a lot of accumulated accounts online. And there's a website out there that I love. Um, a friend of mine, she got a text message the other day that said someone's trying to log on to her Google account. And she hasn't used that Google account for like four or five years. 
long story short, she's, I, she went to the site and closed it. Um, that's a good thing to do. You've probably accumulated a ton of online accounts from everything like email and social mail. And you probably haven't thought about this, so maybe this Saturday at 8 a.m. after the kids are fed, you log on and you start figuring out how to close some of these old accounts. There's a website out there that, you know, called accountkiller.com. Um, one called backgroundchecks.org forward slash just delete me. They collect links and instructions on how to remove accounts from popular sites like AOL, Hotmail, MySpace, YouTube. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of things. I, I have a unsubscribe me, a catalog one, that there's a service that every time you get mail order catalogs, uh, there's a code in back and you basically go to this website, you punch in that code and it's a pain in the butt. Because this is a website, again, that I have to have an account open on, and I have to open it, and I have to punch in this account, my email, and all that kind of stuff. But then I'm able to you know, stop cutting down trees. I really think we're, turning, we're going to turn into a world very soon where any sort of print documents are, are looked at as, can't you just send that to me on email, or can't you just send it to me? Can I see it at your website? I think we're moving into very much so a paperless society for people under 35. Um... So if you do, if you find yourself getting too much, you know, stuff in your inbox or promotional messages, there's a website, uh, try unroll.me. Um, after you give the site permission to access your email account, you can choose which subscription emails you no longer want to receive and combine those. Um, and I highly recommend, you know, simplifying your life, simplify your budget. Um, I use mint.com, but I also use it more an institutional version. Um, that they don't offer you, but there's another company out there that does. Um, I don't like, you know, going, God, how much of my money is going to housing? I'd much rather a computer program or an app do that for me. So, you know, these budget programs that Mint, they look at all your fixed expenses, your rent, your mortgage, your utilities, your debt, your payments, your savings for emergency, your retirement accounts, your future goals, your food, your entertainment, your monthly expenses, your other bills, and it kind of like does, you know, the math on it. And tells you, you know, here you go. Here's your, you're spending 35% of your money on alcohol. That's not good. It's a joke. Um, one of the things that I did early on to, to make my life easier, because I know I, I know I didn't have discipline when I was 18 to do this, was I opened up an account with the mutual fund company Roberts and Stevens in San Francisco. And I knew the managers were great. I, I had a, you know, solid feeling about, you know, investing money over the long term. And the only way I knew I could do that was to basically give them permission to take $166 out of my bank account every month. And it stunk, because there's months when you're 18 where you get down to zero. And you're like, oh, oh, I better get some money in that account because I have that <coughs> automatic payment setting. That little sound, uh, ooh, 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 made me cough. So, um... I don't like dumbing it down. I'm not the Susie Orman of the world where how much money can you safely withdraw every month? I'm not that person. Um, but later in life, there's going to be something that you're going to have to be really good at called required minimum distributions. Um, and that's going to be very important. But hopefully your, your company, whether it be Vanguard or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity, can help you with that. So as far as drawing things down on an intelligent level. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. We'll take a break. Be right back. 
Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220. I recently saw someone talk about the idea of paying for college is now no longer the generally accepted form of obtaining a career. And it was from Rick Edelman. I'm a little bit disappointed by that. So Rick Edelman is a financial planner and he sold his firm to a big firm. Um, I think there is a thing that we should always look back on and say, is this still accepted or not? But he says the notion of going to college and emerging at age 22 with a degree and a field and expertise that you're going to engage in for the rest of your working career is gone. Instead, it's no longer about a college degree. It's now about lifelong learning. I agree with a lot of that, but not completely. I don't believe in sending your kid to college with just the expectation of, okay, go figure it out. Any degree you want to get, you can get. I think you should talk to your kids about degrees. I think, you know, a degree in poetry is a disaster if you're spending $100,000 to do that. I know there's Pablo Neruda's out there, and uh, who's the one Oprah likes that make tons of money? I'm with it, but... I'm not with it. So advancements in technology and in the, you know, the understanding of skills, knowledge that we're taught in college, specifically those related to science and tech basically will become obsolete much more quicker. Okay. So I kind of like where he's going with that. As we went from a molecular science country to a biotechnology, that's a massive uh, system change. So in some of the drugs that you are taking for a hundred years, instantly got replaced with, you know, genetic data that we had never had access to before. And that's only going to accelerate in the next five years inside the United States. So he says, Rick Edelman says, if you're going to be a modern day worker, you need to remain viable. You need to engage in learning. You need to engage in employment. You need to engage in leisure. He says, we call them sabbaticals right now where you go off of uh, work for a month. Most sabbaticals, don't last a few weeks, but they could last a few years sometimes. You'll go to school, you'll get a job, you'll take a couple of years off. One of the things I like about that concept is I don't think millennials have this, I'm locked into working from age 20 to 60 at the same job that my parents had, or on some levels that I had. I've had a career now for 20 plus straight years in the same company. Um, and that's pretty awesome. But in radio... I've worked at six companies Um, in television. I've worked at one. So I I like the idea of challenging this a bit, but one area that I wish was a little bit more clear was that what I learned at college is a lot like what I learned growing up. I grew up overseas. So I learned that people speak different languages and it's not all about me. And sometimes when you communicate with people, you have to go, you know, bread, how much, how much, and maybe that's all the English they know. But I certainly don't know enough Turkish. Um, And living in Turkey was probably one of the best educations for me as a child possible. So I I like the idea of sabbaticals. I like the idea a lot. And uh, hopefully more of us could take more of them and see the world, sometimes for the first time, and get outside of our own comfortable shells, uh, see what we're contributing to and or what we're taking away from. So I think the idea of sending your kids abroad is pretty amazing if you talk to your kids and they're mature 
it's not about going to Europe and getting wine at age 18. It's about going to Europe and like experiencing another culture. I saw so much poverty when I traveled Europe. And I saw so many people that will never get to the income level that I will get to. And I don't think that's super important, but I acknowledge it. And it, it gives me perspective that I've got it pretty good. I don't actually have to work in the daily grind every single day. I choose to. Um, and at some point in time, I just told the doctor, I'm going to have a massive heart attack and die. Well, the guy in Europe who I met on a train once, who didn't have enough money for alcohol, instead was drinking cough syrup. I'm like, that's a pretty good choice. It's like going to an AHL game versus an NHL game. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get your buzz going. Um, and I get it. Um, also learned, and this someone taught me this the other day. Um, it was a pretty funny line. She goes, if you could score weed while on a vacation, it's pretty great. But it's always the same crappy weed. And it's always through like a bartender who has it wrapped up in a brick or something like that. And I'm like, how do you know this? It kind of, it, it made me laugh on some level. So, um, but that's also like, that's a skill. I'm going to tell you, that's a skill. Um, so early retirement is a concept that, that scares me because we talked earlier in the show that $1 million will get you $40,000 a year. And some people are like, if I have a million dollars, I quit and I'm going to travel the world. And I'm going to listen to that bare naked lady song. If I had a million dollars, um, I think $3 million is a much more realistic number for most Americans based on their median income of about $55,000 a year. I kind of want to keep you kind of close to that so that your lifestyle doesn't get too changed up. When you're in retirement, Monday's the very best, best of the day. When you're working, Friday's the very, very best day. I knew you'd get this. Okay, so the celebrity that I kind of look like is the fat lead singer from Bare Naked Ladies. Not Brad Pitt. The fat Bare Naked Ladies singer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.